Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the John Frisella Show here on Fantasy Impact Today Network. Now let me bring in the man that ranks everything that could be ranked and discussed humanly possible, John Frisella. You like how I did that? (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Uh, Thanks for having me back, Wes. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to another great show today. You can find John at LegendSports7 on Twitter. Is there any place else that they can find you, John? Yeah, I mean, Legend Sports 7 on Twitter, that's certainly the first place to go. Um, I also have a blog that I've had for many years that I just jump in here and there, uh, and I'll post a story, whether it be NFL, NBA, or MLB, and that's johnforsellasports.blogspot.com. Um, and it's pretty cool. You know, it has uh, the Google advertisements and all the legit stuff, so it's pretty cool, and I get some nice feedback. So hope to see you guys on there as well. Yeah, I just Googled your name, and then I, I typed in blog, and boom, you were right there for everything. So that was that was pretty cool to see. I really like the youthful picture that was up on the page. <laughs> well, I try to stay young. You know, I'm, I'm only 34. Uh, that one's probably pretty relatively close to what I am now, so hopefully we can keep it nice and young. Really? I thought that was probably from college or something, the way you were wearing your hat a little bit up, and, and, and he had the flat brim, I believe, on the on the cap. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I have to go back and look and see which one it is. Um, but you're probably right. Yeah, if there's like a Yukon a poster in the background, then you're absolutely right. Well, you can find everything that we've talked about in the past shows for football rankings. And uh, I believe that's all we've done so far is football rankings. But we're about to do a basketball ranking show in the future that we're going to publish. You can find all that on FantasyImpactToday.com. That's on the website. And also on Anchor FM, you just type in Fantasy Impact Today and it's all right there for you. All right, John, let's wrap up our conversation of the AFC wide receivers. We did the NFC wide receivers on the last episode that we released, but now we're going to talk about these AFC guys. And when I was doing my, and I I haven't listed any official rankings, but when I was doing breakdowns of teams in the NFL, there seemed to be so many more wide receivers in the NFC than in the AFC. And that's really different in my head because when I was growing up as a kid, the AFC was the side of things that really aired it out. And the NFC was the grounder and pounders. I don't know if it's flipped or if it's just the quality of receivers. I I don't understand it. Yeah. You wonder if maybe it's because of the competition level that the teams around each other and these divisions, they say, Hey, look who the saints got, you know, the saints got Michael Thomas or the, the bucks got Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans, right? The Cardinals went out and got Hopkins. The lions got Galladay. The bears have Allen Robinson, uh, Cooper cup and Bobby trees with the Rams. So you wonder if they look around and they say, Hey, everybody else is lighting it up at the wide receiver position. You know, we're going to have to follow suit and try to uh, keep pace with these guys. Otherwise we're going to get left in the dust. You have Tyreek Hill as your number one wide receiver in the AFC. One of the recent guests that we've had here on the Fit Network, I think it was either Andrew Cooper or Rasby Don. I can't remember which one. You can listen to those past shows over there on Anchor FM. He said that Tyreek was a best ball king because of his explosive nature and that he could almost win weeks for by, for, by himself for you. I have a hard time putting him in a box in my brain. He doesn't remind me of any players from the past. Who does Tyreek remind you of? You know, that's a good question, Wes. Uh, I can tell you one thing. He really is a unique player 
in terms of his all-around explosiveness. But the first guy that came to mind when you posed the question was Joey Galloway. He huh. was a streak runner, very electric downfield with the Bucks in his prime. Um, so that's the most similar guy I can think of. He was beating guys downfield over the top. If if you caught him in a slant and you tried to do it with one man, he was gone. He would catch the slant and take it all the way. Um, but I think Tyreek is a level above him. I mean, Galloway was a Pro Bowl caliber guy. I would not consider him elite, like a tier one. Like mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill is a tier one. But uh, that's the first guy that came to mind to, for me. I mean, another guy like him is Teddy Ginn, but Teddy Ginn never developed as a receiver. But in terms of his explosiveness and his speed, also the fact that both guys have returned punts, there's some similarities there. But Ginn never took that next step. He's more like a number three, number four receiver with that type of speed, that type of explosiveness, without the technical skills that Tyreek Hill has. Well, that's something that I don't know that future generations are gonna, going to be able to enjoy like we did whenever we started watching the NFL, our kick returns and punt returns. They almost the, the Nowadays, punters are so good, so good and specialize in all different kinds of spins on the ball, being able to put it right there in the coffin corner, I think is what they call it, that it doesn't seem like punt returns are necessarily happen as often and i know kick returns don't but tyreek hill was one of those explosive guys on special teams yeah absolutely and what you know it's interesting because i can think of a whole slew of guys off the top of my head from our childhood or at least you know 10 15 years ago guys that were dominant in the return game obviously the first guy we think of is devin hester right from oh. the chicago bears as you know one of your guys um i mean he was just unbelievable just crazy explosive and could break it at any time uh, you know, other guys uh, along the way, there's a lot of guys that have made impacts in Pro Bowls, uh, that made Pro Bowls as returners. The Jets, actually my team, had a number of guys in a row that made it. There was Justin Miller, Chad Morton, um, there was just a, a Richie Anderson, uh, you know, just a bunch of guys in a row that made it as returners because they had a special uh, special teams game. But now it's not prevalent. It's not prevalent in the NFL anymore because of the rules. And like you said, the kicking game is so strong that these guys are just not around anymore. Yeah, and I, I, as a wide receiver, Tyreek Hill is definitely right up there, and he is one of those toys that Andy Reid gets a chance to play with. And I love how they utilize him, uh, lining him up all over the place and really trying to get him in the open field and allow him to use his speed because, man, if he if he gets one step on you, he might as well have 10. Yeah, he's, a, he's absolutely unbelievable. One thing I want to say about Tyreek Hill, and I've actually posed this on Twitter a long time ago, maybe like six, seven, eight months ago, something like that is that you could make an argument to me, you could convince me that Tyreek Hill is the second most important player in, the, in all of the NFL. That would be behind Pat Mahomes. And the reason for that is if you watch the aerial film of defenses trying to figure out what he's doing when he gets past the first level and the safeties and the, and the corners are trying to communicate, it's mass mayhem. That's how good this guy is. Think about the Super Bowl, right? How many receivers that you know are going to go deep, and they're going to go over the top on third and 15, could possibly get wide open in the Super Bowl against a top-tier defense. That's how good this guy is. They knew it was coming. They knew who he is. They knew where the ball was going, and he beat everybody, turned him around, and he got wide open. So that's why I think you could make that argument. I wouldn't rank him that high in general just because, well, he had some injuries last year. He played less games. He's not a physical guy, but his impact and the fact that he's that dynamic and he's that confusing – He's so f it's happening so quickly mm -hmm. that the defenses can't figure it out. You could you could make that argument and you could convince me that he's the number two guy in the league. Well, one guy who thinks that he's the number one guy in the league, the next man in your rankings, 
who's going to come into this season angry at the NFL Network's top 100 players, he says that he's better than Tyreek. He's better than Godwin, better than Mike Evans. He didn't say Michael Thomas, I don't think. I like the confidence that he has in himself, but from a fantasy standpoint, I don't agree with him, especially this year with Tyrod Taylor throwing it to him. What are your thoughts about Keenan Allen's outlook for this season? Yeah, he's been really funny, right, this offseason. I like his personality. Uh, It's good to shake things up. People are bored. We're still sitting around with COVID and Corona, so it was nice for him to throw some spice in there and keep us entertained. Um, I will say, as an all-around receiver, let me let me say I understand his argument. I guarantee what his angle is is, you know, Tyreek doesn't run as many slants as I do. He doesn't run the underneath routes. He doesn't run as many wide receiver screens that I turn into first downs. He's not as tall in the red zone. So if you go, you know, tit for tat for spot for spot, I can see what Keenan Allen is saying. I wouldn't take him for the same reason we said before compared to Tyreek is that Tyreek is just beyond him in terms of being dynamic. Um, but I totally get where he's coming from. As far as fantasy goes, I'm with you, Wes. I mean, I've watched Tyrod Taylor his whole career. Again, I'm a Jets fan. I've seen him with the Bills all the way through. I actually saw him as a starter with the Browns. His final game as a starter before Baker Mayfield took over was also against the Jets. And I got to tell you, that was a couple of years ago. And to me, he already seemed finished. His arm was shot. He was not as fast as he used to be scrambling. So I would say that unless the Chargers defense is so dominant that they're in every game because they do have four elite defensive players on that squad there. Uh, unless they're so dominant that the Chargers are in every game and they end up like around eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six, I don't think we're going to see Tyrod Taylor as a starting quarterback for the whole season. I think we're going to see Herbert. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like him for Keenan Allen. I got to bring Allen down a little bit in fantasy projections, but you could easily argue he's still the number two guy in the AFC behind Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I I would agree with everything that you said there. Uh, I do think that he runs a lot more, a lot of different routes than any everybody else, and he's a great route runner. I just can't see how he's going to be that productive this season. The first contradiction between you and the average draft position that we found on Fantasy Pros, or that I found on Fantasy Pros, the ADP has Juju being drafted four spots ahead of AJ Brown. What do you see in Brown's game? that the public does not right now where you rank him four spots ahead of Juju. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Allen Robinson, what we talked about last week in terms of the target share, right? So the target share with the Titans is so obvious. Uh, Keep in mind, I think Corey Davis went on the PUP list. So now you're talking about AJ Brown and John U. Smith, everybody's favorite name on fantasy Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about a very short list of guys who can make an impact through the air for the Tennessee Titans. AJB showed a lot, especially the moment that Tannehill took over for Mariota, it was like a different player, right? So AJ Brown's a big guy, he's strong, he's young, he's fast, he's dynamic. He has a lot in terms of technical skills and size and athleticism and physical ability. He checks all those marks, but really the key is the target share. I would say if you were to rank AJ Brown and Juju on an open list in a vacuum, they'd be right next to each other. You could argue me either way, and I'm not going to fight with you on that. But for fantasy, Juju's got to consider they have Deontay Johnson there, who's a hot name. They drafted Claypool relatively early in the draft. Uh, He's coming off a year where he was injured. Things weren't quite the same. So there's some things to consider with Juju, whereas AJ seems very safe and very secure in his role and his position and his connection with the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Oh, I agree with you there. And with a whole season of Tannehill behind the helm, I I can see A.J. Brown really taking off this season. Possibly, 
possibly, it's going to be hard to jump those Adam Thielens and the Cooper Cups, but he might be able to make it into the top 10 this year with that running game, that running threat of Henry. They're going to stack the box so much in, in, in uh, the opponents are going to stack the box so much against Tennessee that A.J. Brown's going to have a field day possibly. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be the same way it was toward the second half of last season, uh, as long as they can keep Henry healthy. Also, they drafted Darrington Evans, uh, the running back, the rookie. So hopefully if anything does happen to Henry, they'll have some backup there um, and they'll have a little bit of a safety cushion, at least if it's a couple of games. But uh, yeah, Henry, Henry's the guy, man. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible last year. Led the league in rushing in the regular season, led the league in rushing in the playoffs, Mm-hmm. Ran the ball down top teams' throats when they knew it was coming. Again, very similar to Tyreek Hill, right? Tyreek can run past people even when they know it's coming. Derrick Henry can run you over when you got 10 guys in the box. That's how dominant this guy is if you keep him healthy. So you're right. So if you have that balance, and Vrabel's a real physical coach, comes from the Patriots' background with Belichick, um, and also as a player as well. So, yeah, I mean, if they could keep ramming it down your throat, then they mix in the play action. And Tannehill, he's pretty tricky. When Tannehill is in a rhythm and he's working that play action, he's on the move a little bit. He's a tough guy to cover as well uh, as far as defensive attention. So Tannehill can get you to draw off your game and come off your game, and then you can work A.J. Brown downfield over the top. No, I agree, and I've been watching Derrick Henry do that since his college days here in Alabama, and it, it hasn't stopped. And I, I'm glad they finally allowed the D-train loose in Tennessee. Sometimes we don't see eye-to-eye, John. We, we, sometimes I just don't understand what you're saying. I don't get it. But finally, you and I completely agree on something here. I cannot understand why people love drafting Odell anywhere near the 11th wide receiver off the board, as his ADP has it right now. He has a bad quarterback and a run-heavy offense. The Browns brought in Austin Hooper, who is going to take away targets from Odell. Hey, he he might not even be the best wide receiver on his team if Landry comes back healthy. Uh, yeah, I, I have him around 19. I mean, you know, we have to keep an eye on this situation now. Obviously, it's an evolving situation with Landry. Uh, it looks like from the reports that I read that it's a short term PUP, right? So I, I mm-hmm. don't think he's going to be on there for too long. I do think we may see him relatively early in the season. But here's the issue. The guy's been healthy, Landry, for so long that you're almost worried. Is he due? Right. Is he due to come off the list and then get hurt again? Um, so that would be the main argument for OBJ, right? Is that if you think Landry is not going to be solid, he's not going to come back himself. That's probably the strongest leg that you have to stand on if you're going to argue for OBJ. Obviously, the reverse is he's already causing trouble off the field. He's already making a distraction. He's saying the players shouldn't play. He's making derogatory comments about the owners. Um, you know, and it's it's always seems like no matter where he ends up, he rubs people the wrong way, and things don't exactly work out the way that the optimists think it will. For him, right? So if you're optimistic about him, it hasn't been working out in your favor in the past. So yeah, I think that's a, a conservative ranking on my part around 19, uh, give or take. It's fluid up and down a few spots. Um, I, he worries me. He does. If we get word that Landry's going to be down for the count for real, that's a different story. I'm going to rocket him up my rankings at least seven or eight spots. For now, I'm going to keep him where he is. I'm going to keep an eye on the situation and I'm going to take some more, uh, you know, safer guys like Robert Woods uh, to me is very safe. Tyler Lockett is very safe. Those type of guys right ahead of him uh, on my list. I agree with you. I, I, Odell's always been one of those guys that I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of from a fan. He, he really clicked well with with uh, Eli Manning. Eli Manning loved to feed him, 
ever since then, though, I just I haven't had a lot of confidence in him, John. Yeah, I mean, uh, and also don't forget, toward the end of his time with Eli, they were already butting heads because Eli had a little thing for Sterling Shepard. He liked mm -hmm. him in the slot. Um, then Ingram came along, and he was getting some looks before he got hurt. So even toward the end, yes, they had a good connection at the beginning when the ball wasn't being shared, and it was going to him. And that listen, that's a double-edged sword. Let me talk about that point, right? If you have an elite guy, which Odell in a vacuum in terms of his natural skills is an elite guy. He's probably sure. right around number 10 or number 11 at the wide receiver position just in terms of his skills. Sure. Uh, if you have a guy like that, you do want to pepper him. You want to keep him happy. But you also have to keep that balance in your offense. And you expect your number one wide receiver who knows the game and has played his entire life to understand that the offense needs that kind of balance. And you can't be riling everybody up on the sidelines and getting everybody upset and saying me, me, me all the time. So, you know, that to me, that shows that he's inexperienced and he's a baby. He's still a baby. After, after being in the league for this long, he's still a baby. Um, so that's a concern for me is his attitude and just not understanding that, yes, you should give him the most targets on the team but you need to keep your other guys involved and you need to keep the opposing defense honest and know that it's not going to him all the time. So th that's a shame that he doesn't realize that. I'll admit though, I was really jealous of his hair game at some point. <laughs> I mean, the, he had, he had a wonderful hair game going on when he had the head and shoulders, I think commercial and everything that I was jealous. I was jealous. What about you, Wes? Do you ever rock a haircut like that? Uh, back in high school, I definitely played the long haired mullet game quite, <laughs> quite strong. It was, it was, it was one of those long mullet hairdos I did. It was that late eighties. Uh, I graduated high school in nineties. So you can only imagine the hair band hairdo that I had. Man, that's a legendary look right there. I wish we could pull that photo up. So hopefully we'll get that in the future. I doubt that's happening. <laughs> well, while you were talking, I was going to, ah, hmm. I was going to ask you about T.Y. Hilton here, but I, I that smarts, that really smarts. I think I pulled my philtrum li uh, ligament in my lips. Uh, yeah, I mean, I Wes, I wish I knew what you were talking about. As usual, uh, you know, we're on different planets, and that's why we make this show work. Um, but uh, where are you coming from with that? Well, the philtrum is a is a little ligament that you have right under your nose that goes to the top of your lip. It's that it's that little crevice right there. It's right there in that area. That's what I always think of when I think of T.Y. Hilton is some ligament injury, some hamstring injury. Whenever he's on my team, I always want the best from T.Y., but if I've drafted him, he's always been hurt. If I if I play him, if I, if I pick him up in a trade or something like that, he always gets hurt. As soon as I get rid of him or as soon as I trade him to somebody else after frustration sets in, boom, he's healthy and he produces. I cannot draft T.Y. Hilton. You have him ranked here 21st. I am going to go ice my philtrum and allow you to talk about T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> you know, T.Y., he was a very important player in the progression of Andrew Luck's career, right? They really didn't have many weapons uh, throughout the time that Luck was there before the uh, magic retirement that we weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he he really is that type of number one receiver who sneaks up on you, but you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. This is a guy that from week to week, you got to be checking that injury report like five times a week. And Sunday morning, 10 minutes before the game, you better make sure you check it again because, you know, it could be the filtrum, it could be the knee, it could be the ankle, it could be the shoulder, it could be the neck. You never know with this guy. It could be a concussion. Um, so you're absolutely right about that. It's always a possibility from week to week he's going to bother you in terms of setting your lineup. Um, one thing to consider this year is I do think with Phillip Rivers taking over now as the quarterback of the Colts, 
Uh, he's a veteran guy. He's been around the block. He knows the landscape. He can see the field, right? I, I do think he's going to look for T.Y. because it's a veteran connection. You know what I mean? And you, the other receivers that we're looking at on this team, while they are talented, right, that's Michael Pittman and that's Paris Campbell, they are certainly talented and people are talking about them. This is a COVID offseason. We don't know about the chemistry levels. We don't know about the preparation of these young players. But we do know T.Y. is a veteran like Philip, who's been around the block. So there might be a connection there between those two guys. So that's on the plus side. The negative is he's obviously getting older and you got to watch the injuries. So my suggestion would be, if you can, this is a good year to stack one of those Colts guys behind him, right? So if you're going to take T.Y. in a spot where you're like, you know, I like him, I feel good about him in a vacuum, mm -hmm. I might take him maybe four or five spots earlier than other people. I'll get him here on the back end. Let me grab Michael Pittman in case something happens. Well, I disagree. I'm, I'm going to stay away from this entire situation. Philip Rivers, every every wide receiver in San Diego was kind of built the same, you know, long, tall, slender, lean. And when you get over to Indianapolis and look at their receivers, they're just they just look different. Uh, and I noticed Philip Rivers last season when I watched him play a couple of times, it didn't seem like he could fit it in that window like he used to. Look, he lost a little zip on the ball, and it really put his receivers in compromising positions. And I just don't know with the short arm radius that the Indianapolis Colt receivers have, I don't know that they'll be able to make up for the for the inefficiencies that Philip Rivers was demonstrating to me in the passing game. I really see him looking more towards a Jack Doyle or a Trey Burton. Trey Burton is one of those sleepy little tight ends this season who had a lot of physical potential whenever he was with the Eagles, just never translated to Chicago. And a lot of those dump off close to the line of scrimmage passes that Phillip Rivers is, might might do this year in Indianapolis. I think that the those receivers coming out of the backfield, the running backs receivers coming out of the backfield are really going to benefit this season. So you probably like Jonathan Taylor, the rookie, coming out of the backfield for some dump-offs. They also have Naheem Hines, uh, who's very quick. He's like another guy you like from the Falcons, Ito Smith. Um, mm -hmm. They're very similar in that type of game. But back to what you said about Rivers, I saw that same decline in his game, but you have to keep something in mind here, and this is humongous. The, it's very likely that the Colts have the best offensive line in the entire AFC. We're talking about four possible pro bowlers on the offensive line, including including Quentin Nelson, who was probably the number one overall offensive lineman in the entire game. Right? You have Costanzo as well. There's others. So you got to keep that in mind. The Chargers do not have that. You can't make that argument at all for them. It's a miracle whatever they were able to produce with their situation. So that's going to be a huge difference. And I actually think that's part of the reason why he went there, other than the fact that the Colts have some good management. Frank Reich is a good head coach, a good solid guy, an old school guy like Philip Rivers, so I'm sure there's a connection there. But that offensive line is going to protect him. Uh, I do think – I think I mentioned this week on Twitter. I think he's going 24th and ADP uh, in the redraft, and I like that that number there for Rivers. I think you could take him as high as 18 or 17. So, yeah, I agree he's declining in the skills, but now you're putting him in a better situation. So those, those things may cancel out or they may even end up in your favor. Yeah, great points there. Hey, John, we, we talked about Twitter getters last week. We also talked about uh, – we, we put up a poll question last week because we disagreed about some wide receivers. Why don't you remind everybody and uh, of that poll question and give the results? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we were talking about some guys for Dynasty at the wide receiver position in the NFC, some guys that you really want to hang on to long-term, but also who do you like in the short term in terms of their ability and their skill set. 
So we had four very dynamic young players. The guy who came in last by a large margin in the uh, poll there was Michael Gallup from the Cowboys, who we know is a, a fantastic athlete, can go up and get it at the high point. He's a long guy, um, but he did not do well in the poll. And then you had the three guys that were probably the elites uh, out of this group. And you had the, the man who ran away with it, as always. And I even put in the poll, take the industry biases out of this thing. because what. And I think people knew what I meant by that is everybody's just raving about DJ Moore, DJM, Panthers man, right? So he was the big winner uh, in the poll in number one spot, followed by Calvin Ridley and DK Metcalf, who weren't too far behind in the two and three slots. But DJ Moore was the guy. He was the winner. And no matter where you put the poll, no matter what settings you're in, no matter where it is, people are taking him. So, uh, again, he came out on top. Well, I noticed a couple of those uh, responses on Twitter. Who was it? J. Ray Boyce at Twitter or on yeah. Twitter? Yep. He he thought DJ Moore is an outstanding wide receiver. I believe he takes a step backwards in, in 2020, and he doesn't think that Bridgewater is the answer in Carolina. Yeah, that I did see that, and I kind of feel the same way. I think I talked about it on the show last week is that I think if you're talking about wins and losses and you're talking about a competitive NFL team, you're obviously taking Teddy Bridgewater over Kyle Allen uh, and Will Greer, who also played quarterback for the Panthers last year. Um, you're probably even taking him over Cam Newton. Uh, that's a discussion for a different day, but I think Newton's a little bit over the hill in terms of passing out of the pocket. Bridgewater's probably a little more polished and a little more settled right now. But that has nothing to do with fantasy. As a matter of fact, it can have an adverse effect on fantasy because now you're in more games. Now you say, hey, we have Christian McCaffrey, arguably mm -hmm. the best running back in the world, probably the best running back in the world. That being said, we're in a close game here. We may take the air out of this thing. We might say, hey, let's try to keep it as close as we can. Let's keep the clock running. Let's dump it off short. Maybe to CMC, let's hand it off, right? So that's something to keep in mind is that the closer the games are, the less likely you are to air it out. If you don't fall behind, I saw three or four games myself with my own eyes of the Panthers last year where they were down three scores before you could even blink. So, of course, you're going to pass the ball 50 times in the right. game and everybody's going to rack up stats. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that comment that Bridgewater could have a negative impact on fantasy, not on the reality of the Carolina Panthers. Well, I think for the entire Washington offense, they had one of those low pace of plays last season, one of the lowest in the leagues, if not the lowest in the league. They're going to switch that around this year and have a, a, a much better pace of play this season. So they're going to be getting a lot more plays out, which is going to translate into more fantasy success for that Washington football team. Eric Beverly at EBEV02 said, definitely not Gallup. Dallas with Zeke, Cooper, Lamb in question. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a crowded team. But one thing you have to keep in mind is Dak Prescott threw for almost 5,000 yards last year. Uh, Jason Witten is not there. Jason Witten didn't light it up. It's not like he had 1,500 yards, but he was a contributor. He's not there. And now you're putting Lamb in there, so you have another guy to get some looks. But I do think with this type of talent spaced out around the field, it's going to be very difficult to double-team any of these guys. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult to give help any type of defensive help from the outside, someone leaking over, safety position, linebacker, whatever it might be. So that being said, you got one-on-ones on the outside from Michael Gallup. Um, so I, I can understand why he finished fourth in the poll because it's crowded, but I could also see the reverse argument saying, who's going to cover this guy one-on-one? -on -one? He's very tough. He's very difficult to cover one-on-one -on -one in space. So uh, yeah, it, it could go both ways, but I think it, the people were a little bit unfair uh, with Gallup having him that far behind in the poll. All right, John, the smartest man on Twitter last week because he agreed with me. 
at FF Baldman, Christian Williams, he said the answer to that poll question was Ridley, and it's not even close. So me and uh, FF Baldman became best friends last week. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. I know you were leaning that way in the poll, um, and I can absolutely see the upside for Ridley. So I, I, it's not much of an argument I can make in reverse against him at this point because there isn't that much of an issue in terms of getting targets there. Obviously, Julio's going to lead the way. Um, like you said, and both of us said last week, Hayden Hurst, we might have some question marks there. Russell Gage is more of an afterthought, somebody you would get very late in drafts. So that being said, it's a very clear target share between Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and then everybody else. And obviously Ridley, if you watch his tape, very electric. You put him on that turf, you know, the way he can cut left, right on a dime stop. Uh, you know, he's really, he's really fantastic. So I can definitely see the argument for Ridley. No complaints here from Johnny Fro. So, John, we, we had a new little segment we started. I don't know the success of it. Twitter getter. We tried to get everybody to hashtag Twitter getters whenever they saw something on Twitter that maybe caught their eye. Because we like to bring positive news into this world. It's always at the end of the show. You know, go out and make a positive impact in your world today. And we like to do those kind of things. And I saw a Twitter getter from Matt Okada. I think that's how you would say his name. And that's exactly what his Twitter handle is. He thinks that Mike Gisecki is going to be the number three tight end in fantasy behind Kelsey and Kittle being drafted next season. Do you agree with that? He, that means he's going to have to jump over the ranks of Ertz, Ingram, Waller, a lot of people, really, because he's being drafted towards the bottom part of the tight end tiers. Do you think he can make that big of a leap from this year to next year? I mean, I wouldn't rule it out altogether, but I would put the percentage point at lower than four or three percent, right? It would be very low, a very low chance. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is it's very difficult to project someone that high without knowing the quarterback situation of the team, right? I would prefer, for fantasy purposes, that Ryan Fitzpatrick be the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins this year. I also think as an organization, even though I shouldn't be working in their best interest as a Jets fan, I also <laughs> think their organization <laughs> their organization should redshirt Tua. There's no rush. It's COVID, right? There's a lot of uncertainty and things going on. We don't know how much of a season we're going to have. We, You and I think we're going to play it through, but nobody really has to agree with us on that. So that being said, plus he's coming off a massive major injury that is career-threatening, and they said at the time, put his career at risk. I just don't see the rush, right? Fitzpatrick is one of the best backups in the league, um, and he's he's probably got another two or three years left. So I think for Gasicki, it would be best for his fantasy outlook if it was Fitzpatrick's job and it was his all the way, that they were like, you know what, this guy, it's Fitz, and, he, and two is only playing if something happens to Fitz. That's it. That's the scenario. So that being said, that's the only way for me that Gasicki could even approach the top three. I don't, I don't see it at all. Um, I have him around number 12, which I think is a pretty fair ranking. Uh, yeah, those guys at the top for me are not shakable. Kelsey and Kittle are one and two, any way you want to slice it. Right. Ertz probably right there. I mean, Ertz, or people don't realize he, he it felt like he had a quiet year because Goddard had a good year, right? So it was like, oh, there was two guys sharing, sharing the looks over there in Philadelphia. But if you go back and look at those numbers, Ertz was number two in tight end targets. He was right there mm -hmm. with Kelsey. So he's not going anywhere. Uh, Darren Waller, I think is fantastic. I think people that think he's in for a down year are way off. So I don't see him approaching those guys in the elite group. I see him as a possible, maybe best guy in the second tier, although I don't have him there either. 
Yeah, and, and not only that, that Ertz, nothing has changed for Ertz. They just don't believe in getting wide receivers or keeping them healthy in Philadelphia uh, as of right now. So nothing has changed for him. Another Twitter getter, Ricky Valario. I, I, I am terrible with names. At Ricky Valario, he put on here, it's been a long week, maybe even a couple of months, and I want to hear some positivity from each of you. Tell me something good that happened this week. I like tweets like that, that, that just kind of allow you to look, look down the replies and, and find some good things. Yesterday, I was involved in some Twitter. I don't even know. I get lost on Twitter sometimes and all the replies. But everybody was posting pictures of their dogs and cats, and I was marked in one of them. I think I maybe looked like one of the dogs. I'm not positive. But <laughs> maybe, maybe, one of the, maybe one of the collies looked like my high school pitcher. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> The mullet man is back. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I like those where you get lost in there. It just kind of distracts you from everyday pressures that maybe we feel at work or at home or just different things like that. So that was a good one posted by him. Did you see anything positive out there on Twitter's world this year, this week? Yes, I did. You know what I saw a lot of, and it was interesting, was a lot of people tagging accounts that they liked and saying, look, you guys got to follow these guys. Because not only do they know their stuff when it comes to fantasy football, they also have that community spirit. They spread the wealth. They keep the positivity. So I saw a lot of different threads, right? I'm not talking about one that kind of overlapped with itself. I'm mm-hmm. talking about a number of different threads and a number of different people saying, look, we got to get these names out there. You guys got to follow um, because you really appreciate what they bring to the table. So I like that other people bringing people up without – they don't get anything from it right? It's just going to create a chain and everyone's going to get some more follows and some more likes. So I like that people do that just out of their own kindness and say, you know, give these other people some attention. Yeah. Rob Norton also, he's got one coming up. He put out a tweet about the baby bowl 2020 that he has coming out here pretty soon to raise money. And I hope to have Rob on sometime uh, on the show at some point to be able to talk about this a little bit further. Yeah, Rob, right. Rob is one of the best out there. Just, uh, just want to say that on the record. He's one of the best out there. Um, you know, I don't want, I don't want to say it because we agree a lot of the time, but he's he's very sharp in my opinion. I, I think he really knows his stuff, and and we always kind of joke that even if we're on different threads talking about different stuff, if we go back and look at the comments, it's like we were talking to each other and agreeing on stuff. So, I mean, you know, that's not why he's good. I just like the way he looks at things. I like his perspective. So, uh, shout out to Rob at Norton zero seven two three. Uh, you know, you want to give that a follow right there. Robbie's the man. Mr. Fraschella, I would like to remind the listeners that they are listening to the Fantasy Impact Today Network. And I would like to encourage you to visit the Fantasy Impact Today website where you can find all the past podcasts. We have some new articles in the works right now that are being and some that are being posted very soon on a bunch of various topics. I think so you can look at all those things over there at fantasyimpacttoday.com. And let me thank you for the support that you have shown this podcast. And for those of you who have not yet slapped those stars on the iTunes app or left a review, please do so. Those actions by you are important in helping this Fantasy Impact Today movement grow as we try and take some positivity into this world that we are living in. Speaking of positivity, John, here's another wide receiver that I just don't want to have anything to do with. I know that's not actually positive. <laughs> And that actually makes no sense whatsoever. Well, for my fantasy team, it did make a lot of sense. I am positively <laughs> not going to draft this guy. I can't fathom drafting A.J. Green this year. After he hasn't played in, what, almost two years? He's got a rookie quarterback coming into the fold. No, thank you. I would rather have Tyler Boyd, who you have ranked right below him, 
but I'm staying away from the Bengals other than Mixon, I think. Mixon, Mixon is pretty secure. Tell me about this receiving core in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's a really good question, Wes. And I got to tell you, here's where I'm leaning. And this has been for like a month straight now. I'm leaning that if you're a rookie quarterback and you're Joe Burrow, who I like, we talked about him in the past on the show, um, I do think he can contribute right away. I don't think he's a guy who's going to need to drag his feet and come along slowly. If you're a rookie quarterback like that and you have an all-world receiver with experience like A.J. Green and he's currently healthy, there's been no reports of any issues with his health, I think that you're going to lean on him when you're in a jam, right? And we have mentioned things like this in the past that if you're a younger guy, and a good example was Daniel Jones last year once Golden Tate came back from suspension. He leaned on him when he was in a tight spot, a third down, a key play. So I have to think that that's going to happen again here with Joe Burrow. Not only that, you want that big body target, especially these younger quarterbacks. AJ's long, right? He's long and lean. He can go up and get it. Um, obviously we don't want to be reaching for him too high because of the injury concerns and the age. Those are clear issues. Um, but I think he's more of a prototypical number one receiver than Tyler Boyd, who profiles as a very clear, solid, reliable number two. That's Tyler Boyd, right? So that's the difference between the two guys is one guy has those mechanics and those physical tools of a number one receiver that a rookie quarterback is going to lean on if it's there for him. And the other guy is more of he's going to be there. He's going to be there 14, 15, 16 games for you. Uh, he's going to be available on some third downs and some spots where you need him. But he might be a step behind in terms of the all-around skill set and the package that you're getting. But I do have them right next to each other in my rankings. Yeah, you have them ranked 29th and 30th. I, I just uh, this is one of those things that I just I've taken a shot on them in years past, and I don't know. You said the physical part. We haven't heard anything about the physical part. Well, I haven't heard anything on the desire part either. And the desire is the part that really has me worried because the desire, I'm not sure, has been there the last couple of years to play football again for A.J. Green. And I know we can't read into that. I haven't had a personal conversation with A.J. It's just my feelings that I get from him. And I love him as a receiver, one of the all-time greats, a legend in Cincinnati by any means. But he's not going to make my team in fantasy this season. Totally understood. I, I can see the angle, and uh, and obviously don't forget they have T. Higgins as well, mm-hmm. uh, who was drafted this year, and he's a talented young player. And then, of course, you got John Ross. If, you, if you're if uh, circling around on Twitter, a lot of people think John Ross is a sleeper. I don't know where they're coming from with that. His production level was very high when healthy, so that's probably the angle that they're attacking it from. But I'd be a little bit concerned that this is a crowded situation with four viable wide receivers on the same team and a rookie quarterback and a questionable offensive line, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, there's other guys in the mix there as well that you got to keep an eye on. So it's a busy situation there with the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers. I hope AJ can find his way out of Cincinnati and go play for a contender so he can have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Uh, That's that's. I don't know if that's the angle that's being played in Cincinnati, but I really hope that that's an opportunity that he has before his career is over. Okay, last season, Diggs was being drafted before Adam Thielen, if I remember properly. And now he goes to Buffalo, where they love to throw the ball deep. And Diggs, dot his average depth of target was, I think, to the moon and back. Are people that concerned over Josh Allen's accuracy issues that Diggs has fallen to 31st in your rankings and being drafted on average as the 29th wide receiver off the board? It, those things just don't add up to me, John. I think Diggs needs to be a lot higher than that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that he has that kind of upside. Um, there are a lot of things to consider with the Bills, though, right? 
I do think that Josh Allen will continue to improve, but he does not strike me as a quarterback who's going to rock it up as a passer in one year, right? So he did have some nice, solid improvement that you could notice last year. So we'll give him that. Nothing that was going to knock your socks off, but they did make the playoffs. So that being said, as his improvement comes gradually, I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see him throwing for 4,500 yards. You know what I'm saying? So with that in mind, there's a limited ceiling on the overall production of the receiving options for the Bills. Not only that, John Brown established himself as a clear number one wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills last year, the best season of his career. And to establish yourself that way with a quarterback who's considered questionable by many in terms of his accuracy uh, and his dependency, I think that says a lot about John Brown's skill set, which we know. He's a very talented guy. He's like T.Y. Hilton in that he's not particularly big, and he's had a number of uh, lingering, nagging injuries over the years. So that's the issue with him. But being that he's already established that chemistry with Allen and Diggs is coming in from the outside, I think some there's hesitancy there uh, in the fantasy world. But like you said, he, Diggs is a guy who can go downfield. He As a player in a vacuum at the wide receiver position, you could make an easy argument that he's in the top 15 in all-around skill set. So you're getting that upside there. But I think there's a low ceiling overall for Buffalo's passing attack. Hmm. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see on that. I am glad that I got John Brown in a couple of places uh, because you do have to come in and become the number one receiver. I don't care how much you get paid. If the quarterback likes you, if the quarterback has chemistry with you, we'll have to see if that develops over this offseason and the early part of this season. I, th- I think this is your first rookie wide receiver on your big board for the AFC, but you have him going over Williams and Crowder. Talk to me here, Joe Fro, about Jerry Judy. I can't see why you have him going over Crowder. Yeah, I I like wide receivers that have the all-around skill set, right? I really think it's so hard to be good at everything at that position. This is something to know about me, and I, we haven't said it on the air yet, is I believe the second most important position in the NFL is wide receiver. I, I honestly believe that. If you go to johnforsellasports.blogspot.com, um, you'll find my NFL Top 100 Players series. Uh, it's 10 players per spot uh, each time it's posted. I did it maybe right at the beginning of Corona, maybe five, six months ago. Things might have changed a little bit. But when you look on there in my top 10, I have seven quarterbacks and three wide receivers in my top 10. And that includes all positions, defense, offensive line. So I just believe it's the type of position where if you have an elite guy who creates separation on his own in one-on-one, and then when he's so good, he creates those double teams, it opens up the whole field for everybody else. It makes everybody else better. And it's a lot easier to plug in a running back than it is to plug in a number one receiver. If you're a top team and you lose your number one receiver, you're in deep trouble because those other top teams that are healthy are going to put you on the ropes. If you lose your running back and you're the 49ers, you go sign Mostart, and the guy's been cut four times, and he's an elite player for you. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. why I think wide receiver is really important. And that goes back to Jerry Judy, who has that all-around skill set. He can run slants. He can run stop routes. He can go one-on-one and defeat anybody in the slot. You can put him on the outside. You can mix and match with him. He's not a type of guy that you have to put in one little spot and say, this is what you do. You're just an outside guy. So I like that all-around skill set. I like the way he works. If you watch his film, if you watch him on the field and game tape, And then if you watch him in his clips, his workout clips, both, this is a guy who's working hard every play. My main issue with him would be Locke, right? I just don't know what you're going to get. I just am not confident in him yet. So if if he was on a better team with a better quarterback, I could see Judy even in redraft for me going as high as number 30 or 28. 
I have them 37 because of the quarterback situation. And I could agree with you there. And they, they just like to change out quarterbacks in Denver. I know that Locke is the man right now, but John Elway seems to have an itchy trigger finger from the front office of trying to put somebody different in there if he just doesn't like what he sees. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned John Elway. I want to go off on a little tangent here. Uh, I have a Jets chat, obviously, with our dedicated Jets fans here in New York with a bunch of guys, and this this chatter's going on all day, every day. And one of the teams we were talking about, speaking of John Elway, because I know, Wes, you and I like to do a blast from the past here or there, was that John Elway team that won the championship a couple of times, um, right, with Terrell Davis, who was probably the best running back I've ever seen other than Barry Sanders, but the guy could never stay healthy. I mean, he was unbelievable. And the reason I bring it up is in the Jets chat, we were talking about the history of quarterbacks with the Jets, very weak over time, right? We know Joe Namath is probably the most famous and the, the most well-regarded. But we were saying that team that we had with Vinny Testaverde, Keyshawn Johnson, and Curtis Martin, and Wayne Corbett, we had a real chance to win it all. We made it to the Final Four, the AFC Championship mm-hmm. game. But that Broncos team was unbelievable. They had Rod Smith and Christian McCaffrey's father, right, on the outside. They had two great receivers. They had Shannon Sharp, a tight end. They had Mike Shanahan, a Hall of Fame coach. They had three Hall of Fame offensive linemen. So just a blast from the past there that that Broncos team was dominant. And John Elway was the quarterback. And he hasn't been able to find that as the general manager of his team. Right. And uh, he's he's losing patience, I think, a little bit. And I don't I don't blame him. You can see him sometimes being a legend like that and just being uh, one of the greatest of all time just doesn't transition well to the front office of the coaching. Maybe uh, uh, you just become a little impatient. And I can understand that since I have children. I, I Just tie your shoe. What, what do you mean? You can't figure out how to put the rabbit ears through the holes. Wait, wait, come on, just tie your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. That that comparison is exactly the same. There's no difference there. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't have any shares of this next guy, but I know you're a big Jets fan. Perryman, I don't have any shares of Perryman at this point, but you know what? This is the one guy that gets me excited. He has the size and made most of his opportunities last season in Tampa. The offensive system might be a little bit of a downgrade, but his ADP is like 160th pick off the board, 59th wide receiver overall. You love the Jets. Have you gone out and gotten a? Uh, have you gone out and purchased a Perryman jersey yet? <laughs> no jersey yet. We'll see how he looks in the in the early games this season. I as of right now, you know, now that you mentioned jerseys, I just want to tell people if I ever get a jersey of one of your favorite players, I apologize in advance. I have a history of destroying players' careers. The, oh. the week I got Barry Sanders' jersey when I was a kid, he retired. That was when everyone was shocked. They were like, well, why did he retire out of nowhere, right? May he rest in peace. The week I got Derek Thomas's jersey, he died in a car crash. Oh so you, you do not want me getting your favorite players. The only Jets I have right now are Darnold, knock on wood, as far as that's concerned. And I got an old one, a throwback, Darrell Rivas. I don't have to worry about him because he's retired. So hopefully everything goes well with him. But you don't want me getting your guy's jersey. I can tell you that. Well, the only jersey I have, in my, and I this I got a couple Cubs jerseys, but they're not jerseys. Jersey, there's Cubs, you know, jerseys. Uh, is a Rasham Salam jersey hanging in my closet? I don't even know how I got it, but I have one. <laughs> I remember him. You know, he was a fantasy darling. I mean, you you and I, we go back a, a little further than some of these youngins out here. I've been yeah. playing fantasy for 21 years. You've been around a long time as well. I remember Rashawn Salam. He people liked him. I believe he cracked a thousand yards e maybe twice 
This is off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, he had some value back then. Back in, I don't know if you remember Small World, which mm-hmm. was one of the first fantasy sites where you had guys by salary. It was like a precursor to DraftKings or stuff like that. So yeah, Rashawn, he had some skills. I agree with you. He he was an outlier at at different times, and he kind of fell off the fantasy faith, uh, fantasy face of the earth. But John, is there anybody else here? That's all I have to cover. We're running out of time. Is there anybody that you just insist that our listeners know about before they head into their draft rooms? Yeah, not not that I insist. I just want to throw a couple names at you. Just some guys in the AFC to keep an eye on. Will Fuller, if the guy could ever stay healthy. Obviously, the door's open now with Hopkins out of the way. Hunter Renfro in the slot for the Raiders. He showed a lot in the second half of the season last year. Randall Cobb also on the Texans with Will Fuller. The door might be open for a lot of production, and he's basically being drafted in the last round or not even drafted at all. So keep an eye on those three. And if Cam Newton gets the job and sticks it, with the Patriots, I think Mohamed Sanu might sneak up on some people. Um, so I'm just throwing some names out there last minute. Uh, the last guy would be K.J. Hamler, who's the other rookie from the Broncos. Very quick slot guy. Again, I'm just a little bit worried about Locke. But that's just a quick runoff of some guys to keep an eye on toward the end of your drafts. All right, John. Thank you for joining me today to talk some sports, a little bit of life as well. John, when people are looking for you, where can they find you? Uh, absolutely. You can find me at, at LegendSports7 on Twitter, or you can find me at JohnForsellaSports.blogspot.com. Uh, check out all the content. You can hit me up anytime. Shoot me a DM. I'm your guy. Now, we're going to be releasing a basketball podcast with our basketball Mount Rushmore and discuss the top 50 hoopers going on right now. Not Austin hoopers, just basketball hoopers that are that are playing right now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this edition of Fantasy Impact Today, another edition of the John Frisella Show here on the Fantasy Impact Today Network. You can find me, Wes Easley, on Twitter, at Loafinit. You can find all the past podcasts and articles on the website, fantasyimpacttoday.com. You can sign up there to have an alert sent to you every time new content comes out. You can follow the show on Twitter, at FI Today. Remember, to put it, to make any hashtags, uh, Twitter getters. John, that was a that was a lot. There was a lot of Twitter getters out there, and not all of them were for the show. I don't know what was going on. There was some country show. Uh, I don't I don't even know what state it was in, but there was some country morning radio show, and they were marking things Twitter getters too. So this is getting popular, I believe. I think we're we're broadening our spectrum. We're spread. We're definitely spreading the word. We got the Twitter getters, and don't forget about hashtag Fantasy Fam. Right. It's a it's a big family here in this fantasy community. So hashtag fantasy fam, hashtag Twitter getter. And let's get that positive word out there. And hey, fit fam, I need you to please slap those stars and those likes review and subscribe to the show. But more important than all those actions, the fit crew here at the Fantasy Impact Today Network would like to encourage you to go out into the world and find a way to make a positive impact in someone's life today.